Good morning, everyone. My name is Amy Winkle. I am the interim associate priest. Um, and before we jump into the text this morning, um, I have just a couple of announcements I want to mention as we get ready to, well, are we getting ready to head into June, uh, July? I don't know. Where are we? Um, not sure. But anyway, we're looking toward July and a couple things we just want to mention just as we um, kind of move through the summer together. First of all, um, on July the 2nd, which is obviously July 4th weekend, um, we are not going to be having church services here at Emmanuel that day. And so we wanted to go ahead and mention that to you so you can be kind of thinking ahead, um, planning ahead. I want to give a little bit of context of, of why, um, why we have made that decision. And to start with, it comes out of the Bible's understanding of Sabbath. Um, specifically that there's a biblical understanding about Sabbath that actually instructs us to let the ground go fallow for a little while as a way to rest the soil and allow it to, like, to gain, regain the nutrients that it needs. And so I think like, it's kind of understandable that especially for those like, on staff who kind of do this week in and week out, that there's a sense that like, Sunday's always coming, right? So that like, as soon as we finish Sunday... We start on Monday planning for the next week, planning for the next Sunday. And that rhythm just kind of keeps going throughout the year. So this is a way that we can really do Sabbath together, is to kind of say we're going to just take a break for a week. And the, the staff is going to take a break for a week from having to kind of plan for Sunday. And that we're all going to kind of join in that together as a community. And so there's some practical ways of like uh, and uh, realities of sustainability there. But I think there's also um, a call for us as a community toward uh, like some invitations that the Lord may have for us. Specifically that like kind of the point of Sabbath is to, to mess with our rhythms, right? To kind of disrupt the normal rhythms in our lives in a way that then we, maybe we can hear God's invitations in a different way. And so I encourage you, as you look toward that July 2nd, to, to ask the Lord what invitations he may have for you and for all of us in that space. Um, maybe it's worshiping at home or with friends. Uh, maybe it's visiting another church here in our community um, so that we can worship with the, with the broader and wider body of Christ to be reminded that um, we're part of something bigger than just what happens in, in this space, but that God is working throughout our community and so there are other um, congregations, just even here in our local community, that you could um, go to and attend. And maybe even, you might even choose to go to, um, to a community that's different, like a different um, denomination, maybe a different cultural background. Um, we have friends at Israel Missionary Baptist Church and All Souls Fellowship just right here in Decatur. And that may be like a way to step into something a little bit different and get a different perspective on the body of Christ. And so it's an invitation for all of us, and so we look forward to how God's going to lead us into that, to that, that Sabbath Sunday. So that's why I named it that. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but we're going to call it Sabbath Sunday. So there you go. The other thing I wanted to mention coming up in the month of July is that we're going to be um, spending three weeks on a class in, on the book of Matthew. Um, and so as you can tell, um, during ordinary time this liturgical year, Matthew is our book of study. So we've kind of spent time in it in Epiphany, and now we've rejoined Matthew now that we're going into our long extended time of ordinary time. Um, and so we're going to dive deeper into the book these three weeks, and that's going to start on July the 10th. And so we um, invite you to come to, to that class if you're interested in diving deeper into, into the book. All right, so our scripture for this morning 
is Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 35, and then we're going to go into chapter 10 through verse 15. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the, of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of, Israel, of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff. For laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word that comes to us and that speaks to us, that enlivens our hearts and our minds and maybe sometimes confuses us. But we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you enliven the word for us, that you embody it, that you um, don't let your word return void. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning what you have to say to us, God, what you have to impart to us, how you want to meet us in this moment. May we be faithful to see you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so this, when we get to the end of chapter 9, this section right before chapter 10 it's kind of working as a, as a bridge. So it's, it's working as a bridge between what's come before and then what's coming after. So in chapters 8 and 9 um, of Matthew, what's happened is a series of, of healing um, incidents that have happened. That Jesus is going along with his disciples and he's healing different people who he's, he's encountering. Like all sorts of different types of healing um, that, he's, that they're experiencing with Jesus. And learning more and more about kind of what, what he's about kind of what's coming. 
Um, and so, and actually, if you want to dive more into these healing stories, that's what our contemplative prayer space is doing this month. So there's still, there's two more Tuesday mornings where we're diving into those chapters eight and nine in Matthew, where we're looking specifically at those healing texts. Um, but when we get to the end of chapter nine, what happens is that Matthew is giving us kind of context or sort of an overarching vision of like, of what, what Jesus is doing, kind of what he's up to, that these preceding stories that, that, um, have happened are, have been just a taste of, of what Jesus is all about. Like, notice this all-encompassing language that it says. Like, Jesus goes about all the cities and all the towns, curing every disease and every sickness. I mean, do you see the expansiveness of this? I think what, what Matthew is trying to tell us is that even though, like, there are these specific stories that he's laying out here, that, that's just a taste of what Jesus can do. That's just a taste of what Jesus is about, that these healing stories are not out of the ordinary for the kingdom of God. Um, and it, but instead, Jesus' purview is far-reaching. All the towns, all the cities, every, every sickness, every disease, all of it is under his authority. He has authority in all places and authority over all sickness and disease. There is literally no limit to his reach. No limit to his reach. But not only is this a description of the reach of Jesus' authority, I think what Matthew is also doing is he's kind of pulling back the curtain for us to say, okay, I've kind of told you the what. Like, I've told you what happened so far. But now let me kind of pull the curtain back and explain the why. The why behind what Jesus is doing. Why would Jesus spend all of his time traveling around, healing sick people, delivering people from demons, setting people free? What is compelling him to do this? Is it just because it's what he's supposed to do? I mean, he is God incarnate, right? So maybe he just can't help it. Or is there, like, actually something else? I mean, something that's part of that, like something that, that he wants us to see. So what the text tells us is that when Jesus looked at the people, he had compassion on them. Basically, that they were harassed and helpless is what the text tells us, that they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so let's like step back and just think about this for a second. That God incarnate has come from heaven to walk among us. And what is the overriding emotion that he has as he looks out among the people? As he looks out at the crowd? What is the emotion that wells up for him? He looks out at the crowd, he looks at us, and he has compassion on us. Okay, let's take that a step further. I want to say to you, when Jesus looks at you, he has compassion on you. He sees the hurt. He sees the disappointment, the sin, and the bombardment that you encounter in your everyday life. And his feeling toward you overwhelmingly is compassion. He wants you to be protected and provided for. As a sheep who has a shepherd, he himself is the good shepherd. And so I want us just to sit in this for a moment. All right, this is where we're going to get into our imaginative prayer. Y'all ready? All right, here we go. All right, so get into a comfortable position. And if that for you is like to close your eyes or to, you know, you don't have to if that's not comfortable for you, but... I just invite you just to open yourself up to the Spirit of God, to trust that the Spirit is here, 
Just take some deep breaths. I want you to imagine that Jesus is visibly walking into this room. You see him walk in the door. What is his posture toward you as he walks up to you? What expression do you imagine is on his face when he looks at you? And as he looks at you, what does he say to you? Pray that as we sat in that moment that you could hear the compassion of our Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus, toward you. And if you hear those words of compassion, I just want us to to know that it's this compassion that drives Jesus toward bringing healing and freedom. That that's his, that's what's driving him as he goes out and, and seeks to bring freedom and healing into the lives of the people in the Bible, all the way into our lives today, and to other people around us. And that is the good news of the gospel, that when the kingdom of, of heaven comes near, that God sees us in our brokenness, and he chooses not to leave us there. Amen? That he chooses to set us free and to bring healing. And so it's against that backdrop, and whenever you're ready, you can come back. If not, stay there. Stay with Jesus. That's all great. Um, but it's in that posture, it's with that kind of backdrop that then Jesus turns and starts to point to the harvest field. He says, do you see like this sense of compassion that I feel? And I'm looking out at the harvest field and saying that the harvest is, is ready and, there's, and it's plentiful but there aren't enough laborers. And so it's, he, um, he's asking them to join him, basically, in what he's doing. It's interesting because Jesus says, like, ask the Lord of the harvest for laborers. And then he turns around to his disciples and he says, and oh, by the way, that's you. <laughs> right? So why would God choose to involve others in this process? Like, isn't it possible for God to, to call, just to call the world to himself Um, and for him to accomplish the full work of redemption without any need for us. And yet, that's not what he does. I don't really have an answer for that, but it's just not what he does. Instead, Jesus calls his disciples to join him in bringing in the harvest, in bringing this healing and freedom to others. And so he he invites his his disciples into this to be co-laborers with him in the work of God. So being co-laborers with God, what that means is to have this same heart of compassion that we find in Jesus. Sometimes when I think we think about like evangelism or when we've been taught about evangelism, I'm not sure that compassion is always the driving force. 
Sometimes we may think of it more like as an obligation, like this is just sort of my job as a Christian. Or maybe as some kind of like battle against the culture of our day to prove that our way is the right way. And fortunately, I think the church can get caught up in the culture wars that tend to be more about based on like animosity and hate for those who don't agree with us. But what we see here in this passage is that the church is called to be on mission with God. It's a mission that is born out of compassion for the world, for every single person, even the ones that we may deeply disagree with. As scripture tells us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So what would it look like for God to cultivate his heart of compassion within us? For us to have the same compassion as Jesus has and desire for other people's freedom. Being on mission with God begins with us experiencing God's compassion toward us. And that's why we sat in that this morning and continue to sit in that. Like first we need to to sense God's own compassion toward us. And then recognize that he has that same compassion for those around us. It's not by accident that the disciples walked with and lived with Jesus before they were sent out on mission. They needed to be able to experience God's compassion toward them and to catch a vision of what his, his compassion looked like toward others. And the same thing can happen to us, that as we walk with God, he can show us his compassion, and then he can start to sort of pull the veil back so that we can see other people the way that he sees them. I've, he- I've heard of a couple of, of instances where this has happened in pretty radical ways for folks. One of them being my husband. He's not here, so I can tell a story on him. Um, My husband was a a missionary in Kazakhstan for a year, taught taught English um, while he was there. And one one day, as he was walking around, he describes like this time where the Lord just kind of pulled the veil back. And he could see others around him the way that God saw them. That compassion toward them to see them in their brokenness, and to like just feel the heart of God toward them. And it, and it changed him. It broke him in certain ways. Thomas Merton, who was a Trappist monk in the early to mid-20th century, he also talks about a moment like this. And for him, he was literally just like going on errands um, in, in Louisville where he lived. And he described it this way. We've got it on the slide. He said, in Louisville, at the corner of 4th and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine and I, were there, I, and I theirs, that we could not be alien to one another even though we were total strangers. It was like waking from a dream of separateness, of spurious self-isolation in a special world. This sense of liberation from an illusory difference was such a relief and such a joy to me that I almost laughed out loud. I have the immense joy of being man, a member of a race in which God himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me now that I realize that we all are what we all are. And if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained... There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. Then it was as if suddenly, I suddenly saw the secret beauty of their hearts, the depths of their hearts, 
where neither sin nor desire nor self-knowledge can reach. The core of their reality, the purpose, sorry, the person that each one is in God's eyes. If only they could see, all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. There would be no more war, no more hatred, no more cruelty, no more greed. But this cannot be seen, only believed and understood by a peculiar gift. Can you imagine, like, just walking about your normal day, and all of a sudden the veil lifts, (laughs) and you see people for who they are, how God's created them, image bearers of God? What a gift, right? What a gift. And so it's from this place of compassion that Jesus sends out the laborers. So we move into chapter 10. We see him naming and sending his disciples to say, here's what I'm about. Now come join me in what I'm doing. Do the same things that I'm doing. He calls them to cast out demons and to set people free, to heal people from sickness. Here Matthew refers to them as apostles in this one, this one moment in, in the gospel of Matthew. They are called apostles, those who are sent. And when Jesus sends them out, he sends them out with a certain number of instructions. He tells them this, and we can put this up on the screen as well. A couple of things that he says to him. He says, like, basically look and see who's around you. He says, go only to the house of Israel. Now, when he's saying this, it's not because Jesus doesn't care about Gentiles, right? Our whole witness of the gospel, even the gospel of Matthew, is that Gentiles are very much part of the mission of God. So why would he say to them, just go to the house of Israel? I think really that Jesus is doing it for the good of them. To say, you're not ready to go to the Gentiles yet? (laughs) Like, that may not be kind of where you are right now. But just look around you. Look at the house of Israel. And and start there. Start with those who are right in front of you. Then he tells them, proclaim the good news and do what you've seen me doing. The good news is that Jesus has compassion toward all of us and wants all of us to be free. And so they can show God's compassion towards others and join Jesus in what he wants to do in their midst. He also tells them to not take gold or silver, right? He tells them not to take money, to only take one tunic, not to, you know, don't take sandals and, and, and the staff, right? Like these are like normal things that you would travel with. But Jesus says you don't need those things. You don't need to take the extra stuff. But instead you can trust God for means and opportunity. Basically, they don't have to make things happen on their own. But instead, they can take what they have with them. They don't have to beg, and God will provide for their needs. And then he tells them, like, you know, that whole question of, like, if, if, if the house receives you, if it's worthy, then greet it, and if not, then dust the, dust, dust the, um, or shake the dust off of your feet. Like, what is Jesus talking about in that? I mean, this is like ancient Near Eastern understanding of hospitality. Of when a stranger comes into your midst, you, like, open up your home to them and provide for them. What, like, but that takes things out of our control, right? It means we don't get to to determine what the outcomes are going to be. And so basically what he's saying is some people are going to receive you and some may not. But that's not your job. Your, your job is not to, like, figure out who's going to receive you or not, who's going to receive this, this message that you have even. Your job is to be faithful in the mission and to not control the outcomes. So I want us to think about what this looks like for us in our day and in our context. 
And what I want to say is just like, this is not about winning souls for Jesus, like some kind of quota that we're trying to meet. Sorry, but like if I could burn that down, I would right now. Um, This is about seeing fully embodied humans in your everyday life. People who are around you who have hurts and disappointments just like you do, who are feeling bombarded and overwhelmed just like you are, who are living in sin just like we are. And that Jesus is inviting us to look at them, literally look at them, and have compassion toward them. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. And so I think that the invitation from the Lord for us is to say, like, look around. Who's around you? Is there a neighbor that you walk by and maybe just say hello to, but you've never really, like, learned much about their story and who they are? Or a coworker that you work with that you don't know much about, that maybe God's inviting you to, like, just see them and to be curious and to start praying for them. That God might ask you, that you might ask the Lord, can you give me compassion for this person? This person that maybe I don't know much about, or maybe somebody who just really irritates me. I mean, come on, you know. That we might see them as God sees them. That he might pull the veil back, right? And then see what God would ask you to do as you pray for them. That he might give you the means and the opportunity to do something. To to say something. Or just pray for them. But we leave the outcomes to the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying to you is that this is not a programmatic kind of thing. And when it's not programmatic, it means we don't get to control it. (laughs) And when we don't get to control it, we get a little bit scared, right? But that's okay. Because the reality is that God is already working. He's already here. He's already working in the people around us. But he wants us to be involved. He wants us to join him. He wants us to pray. And there may come a point where he wants us to say something to bring freedom and liberation to those around us. We live, obviously, this is no, you know, this is not some great revelation. We live in a time of divisiveness, right? A time of, like, tribalism, of, like, getting in our own bubbles. And I think sometimes when we look at that and we look at, like, the fear and the anxiety in our world, it feels so overwhelming to us. Like, well, what is there for me to do? How do, how do I even start? to combat that or, or to do something different. And I think this is the invitation from God, that we can choose to step out of our isolation just one step at a time and show compassion to those around us just because the Lord has asked us to. May it be so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.